0: One of the biggest challenges I found in being like a community organizer, the better you are at it, people start to ask, How good of a community member is this person that we're letting them kind of have this leadership role in our community?
1: Hey, you. You're listening to Not Yet, the podcast about our relationships and how they're the keys to our self discovery. I'm your host, Paige Polk. I'm a community builder and Emmy Award winning digital media artist, channeling the powers of introspection you're in the right place if you're mindful about the world you create and believe it's possible for us all to belong. I'm so grateful you're here. Now let's start the show. Welcome back to the Not Yet podcast, the project about community, about connection, and all the little things that we do to get us there. I am joined today by a wonderful guest who's brilliant and creative and incredibly community Aww. minded. <laughs> Alex Coons. How are you, Alex? I am very good. I'm really good. Coonis. Coonis. Uh, I've been saying no, I'm wrong for like five Alex. years.
0: No, it's funny. People always call me Alex Coons. It's like, um, yeah, it was like for a while it was like almost like a nickname because people always read it that way, but it, it is, it's technically it's Coonis. Okay. Excellent. Well, it has been solidified. It's on record. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) And knows.
1: Everyone knows. Thank you so much for correcting me. Because (laughs) I personally, I've gone on my own journey with having my name personally corrected. Because my first name is Brianna. Oh, yeah. Like my government. And it's Mm -hmm. spelled B-R-E-A-N-U-H. So it's actually spelled phonetically. But it's not incredibly common. So when people see it, they freak out because they're afraid of doing it wrong. And so they start doing some sort of interpretive oral situation. And yeah. they're like, Brenna,
0: yeah. <laughs> renew. I, I almost like stopped. Yeah, I, I like there's like a moment always where I'm like, should I correct that person? Like, does it matter? You know, like I might as my last name might as well be Coons, But then I'm just like, well might as well just like slip in there my actual name yeah
1: well thank you well yeah we're, we're joined today by alex kunis yeah <laughs> to give a little black and white info about alex um alex what are your pronouns uh she her okay alex is a chef and lifelong queer community organizer known best for her popular supper club Town which created house parties with delicious food for queer women, trans, and non-binary people. Having come up in some of New York's best kitchens, including Breslin, The Breslin, Jean George, and The Nomad, amongst others, Alex has dedicated most of her adult life to cooking for queers and building community spaces around food. During the pandemic, she hosted a regular queer fishing meetup called Queer Baiting to provide queers with outdoor laid back spaces to come together during the pandemic she has recently begun throwing her dinners again tentatively
0: yes yeah (laughs) tentatively to be man did I write that I'm like that's such a good bio for me (laughs) like who wrote that did you great
1: (laughs) how does it feel to hear it heard back to you
0: yeah I'm like wow that's so that's me that's great I'm like that was that's succinct yeah (laughs) yeah
1: It is nice to feel recognized by your own words.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like I'm, I've am i always felt very bad at writing those little mini bios, um, especially, you know, because usually what I'm coming in to talk about is Babetown. And so I feel like in the past, I've been very like, do I focus on my community efforts? You know, do I focus on my cooking resume? Um, so yeah, it sounds like with those words, maybe I've gotten to the point where, I can, I know how to, you know, I know which parts are important and which, which are important to me, you know,
1: which part, if you're looking at sort of a timeline in your brain, which part do you think came first, the cooking or the community,
0: the community, for sure. Um, I started throwing, you know, queer parties and holding, you know, queer space when I was in college, you know, I want to say, you know, very young. Um, actually even before that, cause I was in the GSA in my high school, which sounds so like funny now, you know, but back then it was, it felt really radical, you know, to be in the gay group, you know, and to be, you know, one of the few, you know, people that people are looking at and being like, that, that girl's gay. Um, and to be, that or- girl's gay, that girl's gay. I was definitely <laughs> like gay girl. Um, and yeah, I think even then, you know, to be like organizing those spaces, you know, for little gay teens and arranging little gay teen. We did like we we did like a social with like some of the other GSAs and like local, other local high schools, and so I feel like uh, I was trying to. I was very interested in bringing gay people, queer people um, together uh, from a very young age. Community first,
1: yeah,
0: community first for sure.
1: How did cooking find its way or cooking food, rather?
0: I always loved to cook. Even when I was like very young, I think cooking, you know, sometimes I think I felt very out of control in my childhood. And I think, um, cooking, I remember it started with cooking breakfast. I used to scramble eggs in the morning, uh, for myself and, you know, from my, my family. And, um, I think it gave me a real sense of control and kind of a crazy universe. Um, and it almost felt like magic. Uh, And then I started working in restaurants very young. I started working in a restaurant when I was like 14, 15, and I was in the front of house. I was a server. And then I think a little bit after college, I was like, well, why don't I try out cooking? I've always loved to cook. And I always threw parties that had food at them. But, you know, by college, you could come to a big house party at me and my roommate's house, you know, when I was in college and there'd be food there, you know, there'd be like fried, deep fried ravioli that I made or you know, so or like I experimented once I made um a chocolate goat cheese. So I think there was that desire to feed people also started kind of early. Um yeah, and then by the time I was out of college, I was working in restaurants and it only it only the relationship with food only got more serious from there.
1: You and I have spoken a little bit sort of offline, away from the keyboard about. I say challenges, but I don't even mean challenges. But for the sake of the word that I really need, not coming up yet, I'll use it. <laughs> uh, the, the challenges of the restaurant industry when it comes to um, when it comes to identity and when it comes to rethinking power mm-hmm. uh, and communities. Can you tell me a little bit more about how? that challenge fueled
0: babetown to do things a little Mm -hmm. differently well I feel like I feel like I was one of many people that would come during the same time as me and after who um came from restaurants and then kind of there really was no place for them in restaurants and so they kind of went and built their own thing their own kind of different thing I think there's a lot of women and queer people and people of color who kind of are like, okay, this is not. They go into like a, the restaurants, especially the high-end restaurants, and are like, okay, this is not where I'm going to be able to build a life. Like, I'm not going to be able to progress here. I'm not going to be given the tools to progress here, um, and this is just not going to be where my my future is. And so, I think a lot of people, especially as of late, have just kind of left. And gone to kind of build their own thing, their own pop-ups, especially, you know, I think pop-ups kind of allow for without a brick and mortar, you can kind of work a little bit outside of, um, a, uh, a lot of like little legalities that really are not very queer friendly, you know, um, and like the tax, you know, taxes and stuff like that. So I think a lot of people, I'm, I'm one of many people that was just kind of like really trying being like, I don't see myself in this system and I'm going to go build my own system. So I, yeah, I think that's probably what Dave Town meant, meant to me, means to me in terms of, you know, how rough the restaurant industry can be if you aren't, you know, a cis, straight white man. Um, which is still the case. I mean, if you look in most kitchens, that's, you know, what that's, especially what the management looks like. And that's what just a huge amount of kitchens look like. So I think more and more people just who aren't don't fit that bill, just aren't even going in there. Where are people going now? Yeah, I think people are trying to do their own things. I think they're trying to do creative efforts. You know, I've recently started um, making and selling. um, Well, I've been selling weed ice cream for a long time, weed infused ice cream. Um, And I really, you know, I'm kind of trying to build up some brand recognition. So I've been taking it to the beach and kind of just like, you know, walking up and down the beach being like edible ice cream, you know, edible ice cream um and i think i was like really nervous uh when i first did it you know are people going to see me and they're going to be like oh wow the babe town lady like she's selling weed on the beach like what's going on is she okay you know but actually there was a lot of people out there you know hustling whether it be edibles or like little drink concoctions or other you know little things they've made i met someone who made you know hot dogs from scratch and was selling you know was trying to like build up like this like little Uh, You know, cutesy like hot dog business. So, I actually think there's a lot of people you know out there who are just trying to like make something that they you know delicious that they want to you know introduce to people and are kind of just out there hustling it in a very DIY kind of a way.
1: I don't think that you're alone in feeling a little hesitation or trepidation at the idea of putting. Your, your physical self out there when it comes to entrepreneurship, especially when you're pivoting a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I think you know, I'm definitely in a bit of a pivot. I guess I think you know, before the pandemic, my life was basically throwing this party and and then other parties. I did a lot of catering, um, and gathering people in a community space and creating a vibe. You know, that's sort of always been what I've done best. And in this like sort of post pandemic world, it's, it's very different. It looks very different doing that. There's a lot of challenges, um, you know, starting up doing my dinner parties again is very challenging in a way. I don't think I even expected. Um, it's very, cha- you know, when I was doing Babetown town before I never ran out of spaces to throw it. People were constantly writing to me and wanting to host a Babetown. town. Um, And I feel like I just had spaces to throw my party lined up for months. Um, These days, it's actually really difficult to find spaces to throw, you know, a party in someone's house to find someone who's like, oh, yeah, let me have 20 people in my home. People are scared to be around five people. Um, You know, I also I do a supper club. So the day before the party, I've already purchased all the food. You know, everything's ready. And someone doesn't even need to have COVID, you know, someone could be like exposed to someone who was exposed to COVID and now they don't want to leave the house. And it's kind of weird to tell them, you know, you're not going to give them a refund. You know, that's kind of, you know, it's like not really their fault, but it's very easy. You know, there's a lot of reasons for someone. It's very, that, that happens all the time is, you know, someone feeling like, Oh, I was exposed to this and I I probably shouldn't go be at this party. Um, And so you know, you kind of have to work around that, and just like the financial loss of that. So it's it's a lot harder these days to throw a party than you know than it was. And I think just you know, I think I'm kind of in a point where I'm figuring out, um, yeah, what 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 does it look like to be somebody who is a community gatherer in a world where we're kind of afraid to gather, where it's kind of anxiety inducing to gather. That is the question that is
1: the question um because I also consider myself a community gatherer Mm -hmm. and I've been asking myself that question a lot even down here in Durham like community is very much a part of my life it's not only my job but yes I curate gatherings and like Mm -hmm. yes I help people feel at home in space and I curate space and it's also the reason I do it for work is because it's my life yeah yeah. Uh, so how has how has gathering for yourself shifted with this pivot? Hmm. What do you mean? I mean, you put a lot of energy into like creating creating these not only your separate clubs outside of Babe Town, but also generating continuous community across different people's homes for Babe Town. And I imagine it's because you love the people that you're in your community and you love seeing them come together and you love seeing the generative community and creativity that comes out of the sparks of connection. Mm-hmm. But even outside of babetown you are also a gathering.
0: Like, yes. Yeah, you know, Alex Kudis. <laughs> yeah. 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 I guess in my personal life, I also throw a lot of parties and and love to gather people. And I love people. I think an interesting effect though, of this um, pandemic is, I don't know about you, but I feel like, you know, we were all just like isolated, not, you know, near another human being for such long stretches. And now I kind of feel like, um, like more than like 10 minutes at a time with a group of people and my brain starts to shut down. I feel like I as well, am a lot more hesitant around people than I used to be. I feel like I've had a lot of time of like deep inward reflection and trying to and really making progress, I feel like, on like improving myself, I guess, and like seeing I feel like I've seen myself in a really raw and honest way. Um, and I feel like I've started going down a road where I really just like try to chip away. It's like a very long, tiny process, just chip away at the the parts of me that I think uh, could really use some reflection and improvement. Um, and I think that's all, it's like addictive. I just want more and more of it. And so in a way I feel like you, if, you know, you could just put me in a room somewhere like alone and I would be really happy. I, I just took a camping trip alone and I was by myself in the woods for four days. And I think people were like, who you, you, you went alone? You went camping alone? I'm like, God, <laughs> yes. Just to have four days by myself, You know, just to be in my own head, just like meditating and doing yoga and reading and educating myself and and journaling, you know, that's my happy place. So I think if this pandemic has affected me in any way, it's it's also made me very hesitant about around people and, and kind of made me almost rusty at human interaction. (laughs)
1: I like that flip around though it's like yes you're like a little rusty at human interaction just because the the wheel is squeaky Mm -hmm. and also there has been so much space for you to get to know yourself Mm -hmm. on a deeper level yeah and I'm curious if you've noticed that that theme is running through the members of your community as well
0: yeah well You know, so I came back to New York and I've done like two kind of like test run dinners. I did a dinner that was like 10 people and it was really cute, but I would say it wasn't quite the magic that was Babe Town. You know, it was it it was a lot more low key. It was a very, very low key night. You know, it wasn't really like, oh, my God, this like magical party, you know, where I've met all these people and it's magical. The second one, was 20, 25 people. And I put out a really nice fruity cocktail, got everyone really buzzed when they walked right in the door. Um, And that one was amazing. That one was a lot more like the guy. Um, And I feel like you could kind of see that moment of guardedness as people are kind of coming into this space, you know, again, you know, just like no one's interacted with people outside of their intimate friend circle in so long um and i think also people are a lot more aware a lot more somber i think people want to have like i i think yeah the number one thing i've noticed in pe- members of this community is you know i throw a party that's always been about people sitting down having deep conversations i guess you know that's the whole point is that there is no really loud music playing you know, the lights are on and you can kind of make friends and talk to people and have a real conversation with them. Um, But I think even, you know, even before, you know, I would have, you know, people, um, you know, sometimes often make small talk at parties. And I think that people don't make small talk anymore. They just like really pour their hearts out. People are in a really vulnerable place. I think, you know, people want to talk about the things that are really on their mind and really serious political issues and the things going on with our society. I think there's just like, you know, we use that term woke. I think we all truly are like awakening to things that we never noticed before. And so I've noticed, I think people really want to talk about that. It's, I, I hear very little of people having conversations about like the weather you know, or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, what
1: does it mean for you as someone who's an artful gatherer to curate spaces that were always intimate, but now intimate with, without the investment in small talk?
0: hmm Yeah. You know, I've always, yeah, I've always the, a big challenge, I think of creating these like, you know, safe spaces where, you know, a lot of words and ideas and thoughts are being exchanged. You know, that's always the challenge of like, how can I contribute to this? Um, and I often tell people, you know, I really don't. I, I try to feed people. I try to make them comfortable. I try to, you know, set a tone that's very warm. I, I hug all of my, all my guests. Um, and yeah, I think there's only so much control you can have beyond that. You, you can't control people. Uh, I think you can try to set a tone that is warm and inviting um, and bring out the best in people. That's what I really like to do. I like to think whether I'm at my own party, whether I'm working at a restaurant, which I've been, you know, doing lately. You know, whatever I'm doing, you know, I like to create a situation where people can really have the best in them brought out. They're they're well fed. They have a nice, a really nice drink in their hand. They're in a really nice environment where people are not judging them. Are you know giving them space to speak um, and express themselves and the, the, the opportunity is there to bring out the best in them. Um, and most of the time, I think people take that.
1: Are you looking for a creative and cultural space where you not only feel safe, but inspired to speak your wildest dreams into life? Join Not Yet for our seasonal purpose exploration experience. Saturday, September 3rd, 2022, at 8 p.m., we're gathering in person at the Brooklyn Speakeasy and Vintage Boutique 28 Scott with Babeville Supper Club for our Autumn Visioning Workshop. With your ticket, you'll receive entrance to an intimate gathering of inspired changemakers, mocktails, and substantial appetizers curated by Babeville, that's right, Alex Kunis, private sip and shop with 28 Scott, and a live Not Yet Visioning Workshop. Join me for this intimate gathering on Saturday, September 3rd, 2022. Attendance is limited, so visit notyetseries.com
0: to grab your ticket. What are your optimal conditions? My optimal conditions? Let me see. I've recently fallen in love. Like the most in love I think I've ever been. I'm just like crazy about this girl. Um, and she, I feel like she is kind of like an adventurer like me. I think we both are kind of like adventurous people who love to try new things and we love to eat and drink and we have so much fun together. Um, and she really, she, I, I went to go visit her in Chicago recently. Uh, she was like working out there and, um, she just like really, I remember thinking everywhere she took me, I was like, wow, this woman just like gets me. She knows exactly what I'm going to want. She took me to like a happy hour that was all like sparkling natty pet net wines and, um, dollar oysters and like, you know, like raw shellfish. And I was like, wow, this woman gets me. Uh, yeah, I guess like my optimal conditions are just like a really great wine list. Uh, really great. Yeah. Really great wine options. Um, at like, not a very high cost, like not being stressed out about the cost of everything. Um, and knowing I'm going to have like, yeah, really simple food. I love like food. That's just like very, very simple. You know, I don't want to eat like raspberry infused smoke or something. I I like like a steak, you know, you know, a good grilled vegetable, something like that. Yeah, and being with someone whose company I really enjoy or multiple people whose company I really enjoy. Those are probably the things I, I like that put me in the best, my my most relaxed, happy state.
1: I think that's an exercise that I want to start yeah. practicing. <laughs> yeah. Cause I'm I'm also curious as to how the conditions change. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
0: Yeah, there's definitely days where my optimal conditions are yeah, a, like alone on a campsite with like fishing gear, you know, and a full supply of cold seltzer.
1: Can you tell me more about queer baiting? Because I remember when it came out, I was like, Alex
0: fishes. <laughs> Alex doesn't really fish. I should be upfront. There was like times where people came to that group and was like watching me struggle with like uh setting up my my rod and was just like huh like so how long have you been fishing um in new orleans i'd gone on a date with this like girl this one time and like for for our first date like i i told her you know while i was living in new orleans i really wanted to learn how to fish and she was like oh i'll take you fishing um and she did she got me this like little pink rod that i ended up gifting to this, the, this like little girl that lived in the house next door to mine in New Orleans. Um, but yeah, this woman, she took me fishing for our first date. And I later on was hanging out with some queers that I knew. And I was like, gosh, like that would be just like the perfect thing to do, you know, with, like as like a queer event right now, because you don't want to be inside, you know, everyone wants to be outside with each other. Um, and I'll, I'll just like, and wouldn't it be funny if I called it queer baiting, it just like really fishing just really lends itself to a gay event because of that name because of queer baiting. And the girl was like, that is hilarious. Like you should make an Instagram for that right now. Like, just like get the name queer baiting and own it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I will. So, you know, we, we were just kind of joking around and I made this Instagram and it immediately got a bunch of followers. And I was like, well, fun. like. I'll, you know, I'll see, I'll throw one and see how it goes. And so we did our first queer baiting. I just like sort of like named a spot and people came and they brought, you know, drinks and food and snacks. And I would say that one, just like all of the other ones that I threw after that, there's like two or three people who fished, who actually fished. And then most people just sort of hung out and grilled and like shared their snacks. And in some ways it was kind of like an outdoor uh, babe town in a lot of ways, there was a lot of similarities. It was just very down to earth, people hanging out, you know, eating their snacks and talking to each other. Um, I actually kind of want to start doing it in New York. I've been trying to think of a way to like, have it be, you know, if you have a car, you know, if you have a car, you can come for free. If you don't have a car, it's like some amount of money that like covers gas or whatever, or, um, I like renting the cost of like renting like a few cars and just like splitting it between a bunch of people and getting people to carpool out. So yeah, that is something I would love to start up actually here on the, in the Northeast is like sort of recurring, uh, camping trips or fishing trips, you know, for queers. What do you think?
1: experimenting with queer baiting during the pandemic has taught you about how to throw better babe towns
0: hmm that's a good question i don't know in some ways i don't know i think that i don't know about queer baiting i feel like um I feel like more like um, I feel like I've more become, I I don't know like how to say it right, but I almost feel like I've more become a better person over the course of the pandemic. And I like to think that would help me throw better babe towns. In some ways, queer baiting was just sort of like picking a spot and opening it up and letting and, and telling people that it was there. Um, and I won a couple of times while I was throwing that people would come up to me, you know, people who didn't know anything about Babetown or my life in New York, and would come up and be like, wow, you throw a great queer party. And I thought that was really interesting. Cause I'm like, wow, I literally just kind of like build it and they came and that's really what I do. And I think that that. If there was any takeaway for me from queer baiting, it's just like that's really what it it is. I think throwing a queer space is just like building it, being like I have this queer space for you to come to, and the queers will come because we we need all that we need all of those faces, and just to put it there um, is you know is something special. Um, Queer baiting was free and you know babetown is significantly more work so I feel like I've probably learned all of my hardest lessons about curating a queer space you know from babetown Um, but I do think during the pandemic I have just had a lot of time to reflect and I've done a lot of reading um, and I've gone to a lot of marches and I've listened to a lot of people speak you know I've listened to a lot of speakers and I think all of those things have just made me probably a less reactive person I think I feel a lot like I think I probably used to really make a lot of decisions kind of um on impulse very emotionally and I think I do that less and I think I have gotten better at vulnerability myself at kind of like showing I think I've been afraid to kind of like show empathy or love or affection to people uh you know at different points of my life because I think I've been you know, afraid of vulnerability myself, but I think I've gotten them up to be, I think I've become a much more sensitive uh, person outwardly. Um, and so I'd like to think in those ways, the pandemic has made me, has improved my character overall. And it makes me, you know, better at serving my community, better community member.
1: Yeah, better community member transitions into
0: better community gatherer. Yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, I think I think, you know, the one of the biggest challenges I found in being like a community organizer is, you know, kind of the better, the bigger you grow, the better you are at it. It really kind of like puts a, a microscope on you and people start to ask how good of a community member is this person that we're letting them kind of have this leadership role in our community. And you kind of really look at yourself, like, how am I contributing to my community and the people around me? Am I, am I doing the absolute best I can, you know? Um, And I I like to think that's really, I think, been one of the best parts of being an organizer is you kind of grow a lot and try, you know, figure out how you can be, yeah, the best contributor to the people around you.
1: What does being a good community member look like for you? Hmm.
0: I think I think being a good community member is really making the people around you, the people in the community at large, really happy. Um, bringing people happiness, making their lives better, um, curating spaces that make their lives better. Um, and yeah, everyone's lives better. You know, every member of the community, you know, no community member left behind. You know, I think if you have a queer bar um, and the only way to get into it is stairs, you know, there's no ramp, it's not wheelchair accessible, then, you know, there's a whole section of the queer community that's not being served, you know, in that space. And and then none of us are being really served in that space. You know what I mean? So if you have a queer bar that requires two forms of ID and the space and the names need to match then it's not really serving the trans community that great. And in that case, it's not serving any of us that great. So I think it's about making sure, you know, your work is really inclusive. um, And uh, what's the word for when something is intersectional? Yeah, I think like it's intersectional and, and in its inclusivity. I think that's really what defines sort of like making something that is meaningful and contributing to a community. (laughs) i mean yeah that's the dream right yeah yeah it's you know and i think um i think there was a time when we were building these things and people would come to people building these things and being like hey you know where's the ramp you know where's the you know, where's the better ID policy? And people would be really defensive, including myself, like, oh, well, I'm out here doing my best. I'm not making any money for this, you know, because that that is also the truth. I think these days people really are cognizant that they deserve to be paid for their work um, and people are willing to pay them for their work. But I think I remember when I first started throwing Town, people were so offended that, you know, I had this ticket that you had to pay for, you know, I mean, the idea of like a ticketed queer party you know, was very, I think, controversial. So mm-hmm. I think there's that balance of being like, of, of being compensated for your work and avoiding sort of that burnout that I think leads to being defensive and unwilling to kind of take feedback that's only going to improve what you're doing for a comu- a whole community at large. Yes.
1: Yeah. I, I totally hear you about the resistance, especially in New York City pre-pandemic about paying for access to Mm -hmm. queer spaces Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a lot of resistance I remember when I first started not yet and I was hosting um, events around Brooklyn for mostly queer folks and people of color Mm -hmm. and I personally felt hesitant about charging money because I was like one I want things to be accessible and in my brain accessibility meant payment yeah I knew a lot of folks And my community were also low income and also New York is expensive. So if I could create a space that people could show up, I also knew the people in my community were so valuable that them showing up at all was a huge contribution to what I was trying to build. Um, But you're also super right about the burnout. And I personally have had to make a huge adjustment to how I even see money. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the pandemic has been, oddly enough, very helpful for me, not in a direct way of like, oh, the pandemic made me spend more money, but just because I was alone in my brain for more, I start by more time, I started thinking about why don't I want to charge? And it's really easy to say it's because of accessibility. I'm speaking for myself. Do not not the yeah. put words in your mouth. but <laughs> Like, it's really easy to say, oh, I want people to be able to afford to come. And yes, that's true. And also, it's important to realize how much you offer for free already mm-hmm. <laughs> and also for your work to be sustainable with the system that we have. Things have to cost money or you have to be supported in some way.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, if there, there, one thing I also really learned is like um, when, you know, when. People are unhappy with an experience they had at your party or they're unhappy with things, you know, and you tell them, you know, you know, I don't make any money off of this because I've seen so many people have that reaction. Like, I'm not really making money for this. This is something I do out of like a a true labor of love. People don't care about that. (laughs) (laughs) You are making money off of this or not. They care about their experience. How are they treated? You know, they care about this like moment that upset them or this thing that happened that upset them. That's what matters. So you might as well be getting paid for it. You know what I mean? You might as well be getting compensated because you're doing the labor, you know? And so you might as well make sure you're getting compensated. And then you can show up for that conversation, you know, compensated, I think, with a much more clear head because you're not feeling resentful and bitter. You know that you're kind of doing all of this labor for free, you know, because no one cares if you're doing the labor for free. They 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 just care that it's it's getting done and it's getting done right. I also think recognizing what your own needs
1: are is foundational to being a good community member,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: because you have to make sure your needs are met. So, like you said, you're not feeling resentful. Resentment yeah. is just a indicator that there's mm-hmm. something that needs to be adjusted.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally you know, there, there was a woman who threw an event very briefly and unfortunately it unfortunately was, it was too brief. Um, and she was, she really was, you know, a very sweet, she was, she had a very sweet side to her. Um, and she was starting this event and she did an interview where she made these comments that totally were very turfy. They were very transphobic. Um, and I watched, you know, I feel like I watched the whole thing go down for her on social media where people were bringing, you know, were kind of calling her out on it. And she was just very, you know, defensive. And her big point was like, listen, I'm this event isn't my job. You know, I don't make any money off of this. And you can come or you cannot come. And people didn't go and the event stopped happening. And I thought that was really sad. That was really a shame. Like there was really a, a teachable moment there for her, you know, and it could have just been about her, you know, learning and growing and improving herself and her space in this tiny way. But instead, you know, she was, it really became about like, I, I do this for you and this is how you thank me, you know? So that's probably, you know, I think any relationship, it needs to be even. Everyone needs to feel like they're getting something evenly out of it so that there's space for one party to come to the table and be like, Hey, this is one thing that I think could really be improved, you know? What do you think you get out of hosting? of hosting. Well, this is, I I think I've learned long ago, this is just who I am. I think that's when I'm me, you know, there's no time like I'm me more than when I'm, you know, throwing a queer dinner party, a queer party with food, feeding queer people. I think that's the most, the most me. And it really feeds my soul. There was like a brief period during the pandemic where I wasn't throwing queer parties. um, And it just really felt like, part of me had been was was missing you know was uh cut away from me so it's hard to describe I think you know when a musician picks up their instrument and it's just like they're like oh my god it's like I could never speak before and now this sound is coming out of me and this is who I am and everything makes sense in this moment that's how I feel when I'm throwing a queer party
1: I love that you and queer parties found each other. Yeah.
0: yeah. You know, sometimes there was like a long time where I think I really bemoaned like, man, I can't believe this is the industry I've gone into. I'm in hospitality. You know, I cook, you know, we do our, we do so much labor for so little money and no one appreciates us. And I can't believe I've gone down this road, but I've come to see this was the only road I could ever go down because this, this is me. If there's anything I've learned from the pandemic, it's that the, I, I am a diehard hospitality lifer and that that's how I take care of people. I love to take care of people and I'm not always good at it with words um, and actions. You know, what I'm good at is taking care of people through food and drink and showing them a good time.
1: Yes. Yes. And I've been to Babetown before and it truly is magical. Oh, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah, it's really, it's a really wonderful space. And I'm so excited as you continue to build them out in this new iteration, Babetown
0: 2.0. Yeah, I'm thinking about calling them Babevilles. Babeville. Tell me more babeville yeah well yeah like I said I just feel like I'm so changed you know I feel like a very different person it's weird to think about going back and just throwing babe town again because I feel much older I feel like babe babe town is older you know and so am I um and I kind of there's a part of me that almost kind of wants a fresh slate you know there are so many things I got right with babe town and also so many things I got wrong and I'd love to just sort of like take this reset opportunity and start fresh together, you know, with my community. Um, and I also I'm going to be throwing much smaller dinners. You know, Babetown was, you know, like 40 to 50 people per party. And moving forward, I intend to throw parties that are 15 to 25 people, you know, at most. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of like the idea of giving it's kind of a little name and also yeah babe towns were very consistent it was very easy for me to throw them consistently you know twice a month um and i don't really see that i already i cannot really see being able to have a space like ready to go you know consistently every month you know for you know at least as long as long as like COVID is still a thing hanging over us uh for the foreseeable future you know, it's, I think it's going to be more of like when, when I can throw them. Um, So it's just, it's just a very different thing. It's different in a bunch of little ways. And I've been thinking I'd like to give it a name that lets, you know, it's, it's from the same people, but it's a little different, a little older, a little more mature, a little more evolved, a little more, a little more awake.
1: A little more awake.
0: Yeah. Same essence, different frequency. Yeah, exactly. For sure.
1: Alex, can you tell me a practice that's helping you discover who you are right now?
0: Um, I have gotten really into I wake up and I work out um, and it's silly to find yourself in fitness, but I do kind of think in a way you do, it's possible to really find yourself in fitness because it's an act of self-care. You're literally just like tending to this temple that is your body. Um, and I think you like stretchers, you know, when I stretch in the morning, in some ways, it just sort of like really focuses my mind, you know, you, you can't, your brain, it starts out. I feel like, yeah, when I wake up, when I wake up and I work out, it starts out my day kind of really focused on, you know, getting in touch with my body, you know, what hurts, what feels good, what feels achy instead of your mind, just like racing, you know, scrolling through the Instagram and your mind racing with. What you have to do today, what's going on with other people, and all these, you know what's going on in the news, so upsetting. You know? instead, you just kind of get to focus your day, start your day off very kind of like inward. And so I think that's really been helping me. And then after that, you know, I make myself breakfast. And I just think that whole process of like waking up and taking care of myself, starting my day off, taking care of myself, it it sounds so self-centered um saying it out loud but it I feel like it starts my whole day differently and it starts it 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 has me acting differently throughout the day thank you for that yeah
1: <laughs> thank you Alex this has been
0: a delight I feel like I said so many words um but yeah it's exciting it's exciting to talk about the future of these things because so often when people are asking me about babetown, Town, you know, they're asking me about the past. Um, and I think I feel like I'm still working out what I want from the future. And it's it's so exciting to kind of talk about it, talk about it with other people and and think about it and kind of yeah, and just like think think about the future. Isn't it fun to think about the future? It's so fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun.
1: So you shared a little bit about what you're building right now. Where can the not yet community find you on the internet?
0: Um, I, you know, I have like a whole bunch of like little things I'm doing now that are all, that all can be found, in, um, at my personal Instagram, babe, not baby. Um, that's where I'll post, you know, I do a brunch once a month at oddly enough. And I do, I I'm trying, I really want to start up like a poly separate club, um, just for poly queer people. Cause I think it's so hard for poly people You know, the hardest part of being poly is there's very rarely anyone to talk to about, you know, your jealousy or the kind of like problems you might have in a poly relationship. Um, Because when you go to talk to non poly, non non monogamous people about it, they're kind of like, well, see, that's why those relationships don't work out and it's nice to kind of like workshop that with other queer poly people so trying to start up a little something like that I'd love to organize like some like queer outings into the woods and into fishing so you can kind of find all of it at um babe not baby
1: thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's episode of not yet the podcast is hosted by me Paige Polk and produced by Paige Polk International The show art is made by Elizabeth Olguin, and the music is by Elder. Don't forget to subscribe here. And if you want more of this love in your life, visit notyetseries.com to join the Not Yet Project and community.